Welcome to Boating Insights. This is a podcast about achieving your boating dreams. Brought to you by Above and Beyond Boating. We deliver the leading courses to skipper your own boat. Okay, hi there. Welcome back to Boating Insights. As you know, my name is Neil Driscoll, and today we are lucky enough to be joined by David Howes of the Ocean Sailing Podcast and Ocean Sailing Expeditions. David, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, uh, thanks, Neil, and great to great to connect and great to catch up. Mate, it's brilliant. I mean, I'm so glad we'll get on to how we've connected and ended up getting together here. I just um, a little bit of background for you guys. So, David actually founded the Ocean Sailing Podcast, which is one of the most popular podcasts globally for sailing uh, that's been around since 2016. And then a couple of years after that, he founded a company, which is one of the things I want to talk to you about today, which is called Ocean Sailing Expeditions. And yeah, similar to some of the stuff I did earlier in my career when I, you know, I was taking people on adventures, he has one of the only unlimited uh, sailing vessels that you can take all over the planet basically commercially and run some really interesting trips and there's a few things that he's learned that I just wanted to give us a chance to kind of tap into his brain and experience and and help you all learn from today so David look before I kind of end up repeating myself too much can you just help us out so first of all could you just give us a you know a little bit of background on you know ocean sailing expeditions and you know what it is that you do please yeah, sure. So uh, Ocean Sailing Expeditions is a is a, a business I started part-time in 2018. And really, by accident, um, I was doing a lot of sailing, um, a lot of racing on my 45-foot Beneteau and, and, and was running out of ways and means to, to, to find delivery, delivery crew to help me get it between uh, ports, so i.e. S- Southport to Sydney or Southport to Hamilton Island. Um, and and by, by chance, I stumbled into um, um, the opportunity for people to join me and come sailing and, and and that's really evolved from a 45 footer into a 72 footer and now two of them um and, and now we do purpose designed expeditions and passengers and tasman crossings and circumnavigations of tasmania and all sorts of uh fascinating stuff awesome and just yeah a little bit just to help understand i mean you and i have kind of different where well, you currently i mean an early part of my career lived and breathed commercial vessels and things can you just like briefly just explain what it means to have an an unlimited survey vessel compared to something that you might just charter to go out to watch the sunset on sydney harbour or you know in, in in the gold coast yeah good question uh so most of us understand new cat cat one racing and cat two racing and cat one certificates to go offshore uh essentially unlimited is category zero um and so in commercial terms that means a commercially licensed sailing vessel licensed by a maritime authority to take paying customers if you like or paying crew uh, anywhere in the world uh, and so the safety stands are really high because they're actually designed for cruise ships cargo ships and tugboats and fishing boats they're not designed for yachts um, so they're quite hard to achieve yeah awesome thank you now yeah, you mentioned about sourcing crew and things. I think there'll be many people listening to this, be it from a you know fishing perspective or or offshore racing or cruising, where they'll be more than familiar with the challenges of finding crew, regardless of the boating they're doing. Can you just explain what are the main differences and similarities between like booking like professional sailing expeditions? and volunteering as crew for deliveries on some of the websites or social media groups that facilitate. So, you know, what, what are the main differences and what, what are the similarities for people that are trying to understand this? 
Yeah, good question, Neil. So I guess the parallels are the boat's going from A to B. Um, when it comes to deliveries, there's two challenges. Skippers struggle to find crew that really are experienced um, and often find out when they're partway through an offshore passage that they don't have the experience they thought. And equally, crew struggle to find capable skippers that are actually nice to sail with, that, that you know, uh, have got safety standards in mind and, and are capable of getting the boat from A to B, particularly if there's a challenge. And so, you know, there's, there's all sorts of examples of permutations of delivery, crew, et cetera. Um, so from, from a sailing expeditions or sailing passage point of view, from a commercial point of view, um, I mean, firstly, we live and breathe by <clears throat> our safety standards, drills and systems. Um, we operate under really high um, commercial standards from a safety point of view that can be audited at any time. Um, and in our case, we have to carry double life rafts, double EPIRBs, double inflatable ribs um, that can be used as rescue boats, et cetera, et cetera. So the standards are high and the benefit is we live and breathe that way. And so in our case, we we take people sailing that have got prior sailing experience, but they must undergo sea safety and survival training and onboard safety training before departure, which, which is great for us because um, we know the crew are then capable. It's great for the crew because they know they're on a safe vessel. So I guess the environment's different. Um, where a delivery skipper is trying to get from A to B in the fastest way possible at the least amount of cost and sometimes the least amount of comfort. In our case, you know, it's, all, it's actually about the journey, not the destination where we're doing these trips and the purpose of the trip is to take people sailing, not just to get the boat from A to B. In our case, we only have the passage or the expedition designed because we're taking people on, on that experience. Um, we don't have to go from A to B um, and, and we and we work to a um, weather-driven calendar with a flexibility rather than going going at all costs and, and putting people uh, in harm's way. So, so, you know, the environment's supportive, and training focused and, and basically it's a bunch of like-minded people that are all aiming to achieve the same thing and in most in our case most people not all but most people are aged between 45 and 70 years old they've got life experience they've got a range of sailing experience um and they get to spend the time on the things they want to learn more about whether that's weather routing navigation entering strange ports at night um you know watch systems provisioning etc whereas on a lot of delivery boats you come on board and you've given, given a job and you you know you get from A to B and you don't necessarily learn a lot along the way. So it's just a different environment. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things it's, it's, you'll still get some experience from having been at sea, uh, I suppose, if you're, if you're doing the deliveries, but it, you just, it's, it's something, especially if you're, if you are, it's the classic, you know, time money barrier, isn't it? If you're, if, if you're very short on cash and you're, you know you have an abundance of time then you can maybe afford to roll the dice but particularly if you you know if you if, if time is something that you need to carve out between family and hobbies and work and all the other things particularly you know doing something where you you really know what kind of experience you're going to get rather than just putting your hand up to jump on a boat and move it from a to b and hope that you get some sort of experiential learning from being there um yeah, it, it, yeah it, it, it's very different it's interesting actually it's a slight side note but we um we did an interview for uh one of the main insurance companies a while ago and one of the things that they were telling us is that they now when they have boats that are first updating to for people not familiar with this so category one is sort of some of the most high level offshore yacht racing it's something which is a term used in a few different areas but when david and i are referring to it it's for races such as the uh rolex sydney hobart race then 
one of the things that they're actually asking more about than the race is because they know the race has compulsory compulsory safety standards, skippering, training experience, is the trip home because the payouts for the underwriters have actually been substantially higher for a, a long time now for the deliveries home rather than actually for the boats that are racing. And so it's um, no, it doesn't, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's really useful. Thank you. And yeah. I'm going to roll you on from here. So you mentioned about the uh, compulsory sea safety training for the crews. And, you know, that just for everyone's understanding, that's something that's actually how we've met because we've been delivering the e-learning training for people joining these passages with David uh, on his trips for a, a couple of years now. Uh, and look, we know that you take safety very seriously on your trips and that all crew must take a sea survival course before joining a trip. And the, you know, many of the crews use our safety and sea survival e-learning course to prepare for the passage if they don't already have the qualification. Now, as a skipper that's receiving these crew that have been trained with our course, what do you notice about the knowledge and situational awareness over the, you know, the, the last couple of years that you've been receiving people compared to maybe previously before that? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question, Neil, and, and you know, it's a credit to you that the course is so comprehensive because it's not just, you know, read the notes and, and fill in the multi-choice questions. It's a series of video lessons that you have to work your way through. And so what became apparent to me is crew coming on board, talking about those lessons, talking about the things they didn't know that they didn't know, um, and the confidence they then had as a result of completing the course to then know how how they can play a part or play a role um, in in, in should should an emergency you know happen at sea and I I guess you know my my theory is you know at a cat one level even Sydney Hobart you know the requirements fifty percent of your crew are trained um, sea safety and survival wise and my attitude is well in the middle of an emergency you know it's probably going to be at night it's probably not going to be in five knots of breeze probably not going to be in a flat sea you don't know who's going to be hurt and who's going to need help. And that's not the right time to start training the 50% of your crew that haven't had the training because, you know, of course, uh, things go into overdrive emotionally and stress-wise in an emergency. So having a, a, a crew that's completely trained and can speak the language and can understand how, how the parts of the boat kind of fit together, um, I, I think it's critical and has been valuable for us. But, you know, what I've, what I've found too is then when we do our, once they complete their e-learning course with you, and then we do our three-hour onboard training session on, you know, here's where the fire extinguishers are, here's where the life raft is. They're able to confidently participate in exactly how they're used and what the circumstances would be and the order of the events and, and the steps they need to take. And, and, and you see that the light comes on and everything falls into place because they've created, they've done the theory, and in some cases done, gone and done the pool session and completed the practical, practical, but now they're on a boat with those systems ready to go and they see how the steps you know, uh, um, are likely to unfold. And, and it gives them a hell of a lot of confidence, I think, particularly with the offshore passages uh, where people are going out of sight of land for the first time, i.e. on a Tasman crossing. So, you know, it's a real credit to you because there's a range of quality of online courses. Um, some are fairly basic. Um, and I'm talking generally, not just Sea Safety and Survival, I'm just talking generally. Yeah. But my experience has been your course and the video lessons um have been built into that is just just fantastic and it certainly helps helped us immensely especially during covid where lots of courses just weren't running um or, or where people are in remote locations and it's just not practical to fly to sydney or you know fly to brisbane to try and find a two-day course yeah no awesome thank you i mean it's it, it's something we've seen 
throughout and especially where you know before I built the course I had already taught sea survival long enough that I'd gone through the process of seeing people do the course with us and then come back five years later for the revalidation and that was a really interesting thing for me to sort of talk to them at the time about how many things they actually implemented because sadly the reality was that for most people all they did was go shopping so they basically attended a course we told them about doing all these kind of training with drills and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they basically just went to their local chandra, spent a couple of thousand dollars, put everything in a locker and then assumed they were safe. And yeah. what we've really tried to play an impact in, and especially for the younger crews is, you know, things like say with the man overboard, by putting something in that's a, a simple check sheet that they can just print off and work through and take on board with them that ticks off. For example, we have, uh, practice a man overboard drill for every sail plan that we do so obviously you know if, if they are running kites at night or whatever it is they're doing i just wanted to give them a simple way when they're the quietest youngest least experienced person to just sort of flag that they you know maybe there's something that we that it, you know is there any chance guys that we could do this and can we do it in the dark rather than just you know you know, quickly call it a man overboard drill just and all sign the logbook just before we all go and drink a dozen beers in the in the yacht club and yeah. um and, and that's something that we've actually seen has made a huge impact it's just because a lot of the skippers actually do want to do these things and a lot of the crew want to and there's often just one or two vocal people in a crew who might be like oh you know do we really need to do all that stuff we've already done our training and 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 the e-learning's just giving people a quiet opportunity to kind of pick up you know to use your term what they you know, learn what they don't know uh, and then so that they do get on the boat and actually try and learn it all so no I'm, I'm really pleased to hear it's having that impact and long may it continue and hopefully only be in in, in drills and skills they don't need for real and um, yeah absolutely now just changing topic then you successfully purchased a vessel overseas and, and brought it back to Australia I just wanted to learn you know do you have any tips for people who are currently looking at purchasing overseas i mean i i get that it's a massive can of worms and it varies between countries and the use of the boat and you obviously did it um with covid lockdowns and borders and things to contend with which must have been an absolute nightmare but more generally you know doing it again let's say you were buying a third boat and it was overseas what advice would you give to yourself or somebody else yeah, and a good good question. And I've I've actually done it a couple of times now. My, my now that I think about my Benetton, I purchased um, a New Zealand and sailed to Australia as well, sort of ten years ago. Um, but yeah, it's um it's um I could write a book on it, and it's not for the faint-hearted. But um, I mean, some some tips, um, especially if you're a remote buyer and you're negotiating while while being remote from the vessel, i.e., you're not there to inspect it or check it. Um, you know, pay the money to get it inspected, and that and that that, that requires multiple people. Um, you know, you. You can get the standard survey done by a surveyor, but but again, just a reminder: they generally don't start pulling off um, ceiling liners or, or, or wall liners or, or look you know too deeply. Um, but you know, knowledge of the hull quality, whether that's steel, alloy, fiberglass, what have you, is critical. Um, getting a proper rig inspection, um, getting your engine checked by engineers, um, getting your electrical system checked. And even little things like your fuel tanks. Um, and, and again, you know, the background is I, I bought a boat recently, you know, as in a couple of years ago, it had been for sale for four years. So it had sat there not being used very much. So my advice is based on my experience, run everything for several hours, engines, pumps, electronics, refrigeration, um, you know, pay the money to get the best expertise to check those systems. Because often those things will work okay at the time of purchase, but if they haven't been 
you know, maintained or upgraded or they've sat dormant for a few years uh, or even months, um, they may conk out after, you know, a couple of hours of use. So do all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, pay the money for the expertise because if you have to walk away, it's the best money that you will spend. Um, yeah. Because, you know, buy, buying a lemon costs you a lot of money. And in many cases, a broker will put a boat up there for sale with lovely photos and, and selectively leave most of the photos of the critical stuff off the off the off the web um and even a surveyor can miss stuff so you know the right advice especially when it's on letterhead from an expert will give you grounds to renegotiate um or, or ask for remedial work or for um further discount to fund the cost of that if you haven't had that disclosed in the purchase process so and i've done that and seen it done um you know on three occasions uh, myself um, yeah nice sorry yeah so um have plenty of time um in my case, in the last last festival silver fern, eight weeks turned into eight months. And because of COVID, I, I was in camped in New Zealand, managing a boat and a survey that I thought would take a shorter period of time, and, and it took a long time. Um, and, and, a, and a budget of you know two hundred fifty grand turned into eight hundred. So yeah. you can have all of the estimates in the world, but you know in the back of your mind, make sure you can fund double your estimates at least, because um, you know surprises and shocks happen. Um, Labor adds up quickly at today's rates of eighty to one hundred twenty dollars an hour. So, just just a simple concept: five tradies working full time on your boat for a week is twenty five grand. Um, a lot of people don't think about the cost of the, 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 the how fast labor adds up. Um, order ahead with parts. Massive supply chain issues with COVID. Um, in my case, I had to order months ahead for an engine and for BNG chart plotters. So, you could do all that stuff early. Um, and and I guess lastly in this area. Be on the ground. Um, don't try and manage a project remotely, particularly after purchase. Be clear on what you want. You know, write it all down. You have to be the hands-on project manager that that works out who's doing what and when, um, and, and take care of the detail. Um, my other advice is ask for weekly invoices. It's less likely things can be slipped in there, but equally you get some serious bill shocks if you, if you wait for a month for an invoice and you've got a company working on your boat for a month. And, and um, I guess on. on at that level, you know, be really realistic and create a must-do versus a nice-to-do versus a someday list, and be ruthless about the must-dos because time and money will run away on you, and you and you won't probably get everything done. So, you know, there's there's benefits in buying boats offshore. Um, obviously, friendlier climates and locations to get to a, a, a more ideal. And remember, you've got to pay GST and, and sometimes duty. On, on importing a boat into the country you live in. So, so do your numbers on that front because um, those are costs to add as well. Yeah, thank you. And I just, something I'm going to slip in there as well is, especially if you're not just buying this, you know, from a business perspective, I see people often, I think if it, for example, if it's a couple or two mates or however that works and they're flying out to the boat and they're buying it overseas, you need to prepare yourself that that, you are not about to get on the boat and be sipping cocktails two days later in a beautiful anchorage. You're going to be filthy, cleaning, buying stuff, working um, for weeks. And I think if you can go in with that mindset, um, then it can all be quite fun and part of the adventure. And, And with that, even if it's pretty budget, yeah, obviously everyone's got different budgets, but maybe not living on board you know especially if the boat's on hard sand you might find that you're not allowed to or it's not feasible because for example you can't pump out the toilets and you can't refill the water or it's 
you know, not necessarily that safe climbing up and down the ladder when the boat's on the land, if you might have had a couple of rum cocktails with dinner. So it's um, something just to bear in mind is if you are buying overseas, I'd recommend allowing yourself up to six weeks once you arrive just to bed the boat in or do short day trips and possibly not even be living on board the whole time. Sometimes, you know, the idea that you'll sort of fly there with a family and the adventure starts the day you get off the plane um, can create a bit of a culture shock. And depending what you've sold as a dream to the people coming with you, uh, that can become a bit of a friction point quite early in the process, which can take a little while to get over. Um, yeah, it's, it's good advice. And and, and even six weeks, I think, you know, conservative advice because yeah. if you find out day one that something needs fixing, it, it could be a month before a busy contractor can get to it. And it could be, it could easily be four weeks until the parts arrive from interstate or overseas. So you've got to have the regular room in the current environment. You you know, it's very rare that you can find a, find and solve a problem the same day. I mean, it's, if there's good, good channel stores and good, good supply hubs, um, I, you know, the Gold Coast and Queensland's got 150 different, you know, boating businesses in, in, in one big cluster. But even then, now I reckon two thirds of parts that you need for your boat come from Sydney or Melbourne or or even from Singapore. So supply chains a big issue to factor into that whole step on board and ready to go concept. And uh, yeah, and and equally, Neil, like as you you as you know from your own experience, you know, as much as you don't want to, you need to crawl through every single part, every nook and cranny, every part of your boat. And you need to know it inside and out because um, things do go wrong. Um, but equally, deterioration-wise, you know, it's one of the worst environments in the world in terms of salt and moisture and humidity for deterioration of your vessel. So if you don't find all of what I call those dark corners where little things are festering away um, that may become a nightmare or a big problem later, then you're setting yourself up for, you know, the glory of fixing boats in exotic locations while everybody else is sipping the cocktails. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think that's, it's a lot of it is just expectation management for yourself and the people you're hanging out with, isn't it? For your, your you know, budget time. Um, yeah. And, and, and like most things in life, you know, within not everything in life is fun, obviously, but when you know things are coming and you've planned for them, they've got a lot more potential to be an enjoyable part of the journey rather than, potentially a bit of a shocker so but that was really helpful thank you david i'm going to finish off on uh, one of my faves so another another tap change so look, one of my favorite boating parts and areas is exploring places that you could never normally get to without a boat now of all the places you've arrived in by boat where stands out to you as a destination that really made you think like, wow we never would have got to see this without making a trip like the one we just did yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question, and I'm going to cheat, um, but I'll be fast. But I've, I've boiled it down to six six places, um, but I won't, I won't go in detail about them. Um, but, 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 and they're hard to sort of, hard to differentiate between. But, I mean, for me, um, the getting off the beaten track to remote locations where it's just you there and, and many, many, many examples and nobody else, and you've got that little piece of the planet to yourself, um, and just the, the wonder and beauty of nature um, and, and specifically where it gets you offline and, and away from the coastline and away, you know, away from the crowds and off the motorways. Um, so um, just quickly, so Elizabeth and Middleton Reefs are stunning. Um, it's 300 miles off the east coast of Australia and about 100 miles north of Lord Howe Island. You know, more than 100 shipwrecks in the last two, um, 200 years, but amazing places to, to visit. Um, Stewart Island at the bottom of New Zealand. Super remote, really cold, um, and you feel the remoteness. 
Um, so that was stunning. Um, the fjords of New Zealand, South Island, you know, most people have heard of Milford Sound. But there's several other sounds you can go into. Um, and we went to three of them late last year and never another boat the whole time we were in the fjords um, and just, you know, mountains just straight up to the sky around you and snow on the, on the, on the peaks. Um, and then Bathurst Harbour in, in, in Tasmania, you know, no, no road access, no, no mobile coverage. Um, amazing harbour, southwest coast of Tasmania, full of all sorts of bays um, and, and some, some great history. And then lastly, just, just from our most recent couple of passages, um, the Kermadex, which is a, a live group of active volcanoes between New Zealand and Fiji, uh, anchoring there and um, seeing the beauty of those. And then lastly, Chesterfield Reef. Um, we stopped that overnight. It's a reef in the middle of the ocean, um, 30 miles long from top to bottom. Um, and you go from 3,000 metres deep to 10 metres deep. And you're anchored inside this reef and there's this tiny little two kilometer long island, um, 200 meters wide, full of hundreds and hundreds of birds um, who, are, who are protected there. So, yeah, a few quick highlights. And I hope you don't mind me digressing and adding, adding more than one. No, no, I look, I would have been blown away if you could narrow it down to one. I was just in, I, I was enjoying just giving you the challenge. Uh, look, David, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. For those of you listening who are interested to learn a bit more either about the Ocean Sailing Podcast or the uh, expeditions that these guys run, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you. So you literally just check it out, go and have a look. They've got an awesome calendar, so you know it's just maybe have a look pencil one in for yourself and open a conversation and see see if you can uh, put one on your bucket list for later this year or you know in the future and uh thanks again david it's been great to have you here on boating insights today thanks neil my pleasure and um love the opportunity to be able to contribute thanks mate bye